Life Audio. You're listening to Therapy and Theology, and I'm your host, Carly Merclear. This podcast is a space where we explore popular topics and questions related to the convergence of faith, feelings, spiritual formation, and more. My prayer is that through these conversations, we will grow in our awareness of who we are as beloved children of God, learn to acknowledge our needs and emotions with curiosity and compassion, and rediscover the purpose and power of our unique stories through the lens of the gospel. As a licensed therapist and ministry leader, I want to give voice to the many questions we face while cultivating a clearer view of how our faith informs our healing journey. I don't have all the answers, but I am committed to going deeper and walking together. So whether you've been to therapy or know exactly what you believe when it comes to theology, I want to invite you to join this journey as we fearlessly name the complexities of our present reality and press into the hope of the gospel story. So are you ready? Let's jump into today's question and begin this journey together. Well, good day to you. It's Joel with The King Country dropping in to let you know that our brand new film, Unsung Hero, is in theaters now. It's Luke here. We've teamed up with the creators of Jesus Revolution to bring you this adventure of a lifetime. It's a powerful, true story about a family uniting, growing in their faith, and facing the impossible together. In theaters now, unsunghero.movie for more information. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. Hey guys, and welcome back to Therapy and Theology. Today, I'm so excited to be exploring the role of the church in mental health care and support. This concept of mental health care is connected to our theme of embodied because we are the body of Christ and we serve as believers in the way of Jesus, which is holistically caring for others around us, the heart, mind, body, and soul. So today, I'm honored to be sharing this time with Dr. Jamie Ayton. He is the co-founder of Spiritual First Aid and also the co-founder and co-director of Humanitarian Disaster Institute, Blanchard Chair of Humanitarian Disaster Leadership, and the co-coordinator of the Trauma Certificate Program at Wheaton College. Personally, he is both a Hurricane Katrina and late-stage early-onset cancer survivor. Professionally, as a disaster psychologist, he has responded to and researched disaster and mass traumas around the globe. His research has been published on outlets like the New York Times, the Washington Post, Fox News, Psychology Today, Christianity Today, and so many more. Jamie is also the co-host of the Better Samaritan blog and podcast at Christianity Today. So welcome to the show, Jamie. I'm so honored to have you with me today. I would love for us to just start by you sharing a little bit more about your journey to this field of intersection between emotional health and spiritual well-being. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Just really looking forward to our time together, Carly. 
in terms of where I've landed professionally and even personally is not where I set out. It wasn't necessarily part of my plan. In fact, growing up, I would have never thought that I would be a mental health professional, let alone a mental health professional doing mass trauma and disaster work. So I grew up in a tiny little rural farming community of right about a thousand people in the middle of cornfields. You know, we had one four-way stop, which I'm now proud to say that we actually have a little red blinking light over that four-way stop. So we're moving up in the world. <laughs> but I had, you know, gone through and was actually started off as a music major, realized wasn't good enough to make it as a jazz musician, and I'm not cut out to be a band director. What am I going to do? Found psychology, and it was just a, a great fit. And then so after I went through and finished my training as a counseling psychologist, packed up and moved to South Mississippi because I had hoped to work with rural churches on mental health disparities. But then just six days after moving in, Hurricane Katrina struck our community. So that's how I got into doing this work. It wasn't something I set out to do, but just saw this immense need. And within a few weeks after the event, started doing a lot of research and training. And then that type of work just kept happening. And it's taken me around the globe and now to the Chicago area. That's wonderful. How long have you been connected with Wheaton, Colin? So I have now been here, it will be, I think this is year 12. So I spent five years at Southern Miss and then uh, this is year 12 here at Wheaton. Oh, that's wonderful. I went to Regent. And so we have oh, professors. <laughs> yeah, we probably know a lot of the same folks. Actually, yeah. I probably collaborated with some of the same folks. So a lot of great people there. That's wonderful. Yeah. I always think kindly of Wheaton. So I would love for us to really zone in today on something that you guys have recently created, you being one of the co-creators of Spiritual First Aid. Could you share just a little bit more about that, just the story behind it and kind of what it's doing for the church as a forerunner for mental health care and support? Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, Spiritual First Aid, as I kind of like look back on things, really had its roots, you know, in where I grew up, that I grew up in this tiny rural farming community in southeastern Illinois. And, you know, at the time, the closest licensed mental health professional, I think, was maybe an hour to hour and a half away from, you know, where I grew up. And, you know, when I went on to college, it really just kind of opened my eyes of like, oh, my goodness, like the mental health issues Mm -hmm. affect rural communities. And and I still can actually remember, like even right now, as we're talking about this, I can picture being in a night class with Dr. Michael Schuff, who was my professor teaching theories of counseling at the time. So I'm in my master's program at this point. And he starts talking about research on para-helpers and paraprofessionals and lay counseling and kind of these movements that have happened, you know, 30 years ago at that time. And that, you know, and it really just clicked with me with what I was interested in of like, how do we really equip underserved communities like rural communities and how do we involve the church? And so I just really felt like there would always been a potential there. And, you know, it was something that I stayed interested in. But then after Katrina hit, really realized that, you know, we even did a study where we found that most people, like out of a list of like 14 or 15 different options, unfortunately chose mental health professionals that we were like number 14 out of 15 or maybe even 15 out of 15. And maybe I'm just blocking it out that we came in last. (laughs) But probably not too surprisingly, Mm -hmm. you know, within the top three, most people had turned either somebody in their church or one of the church leaders. And so I've always had a heart about working with the church but then seeing, you know, the same issues I saw in a rural community now play out in a mass scale disaster that really just convicted me that we have to find ways to collaborate and really think of continuity of care that 
you know, as a mental health professional, obviously I'm all for we need to get help when we need help. But there's also a lot we can do before somebody needs to get to that point or to create a bridge between the church and the mental health uh, field. And so I've really spent my career doing that work. And then we thought with Spiritual First Aid, we were going to be releasing this as a disaster spiritual emotional care intervention because we were right about to do a national launch about the week before COVID-19 was declared a pandemic. So we went, my colleague Ann and I, we went back to the drawing board and it was like, we think we can pivot this to address COVID. And so we put it out in the world and it just took off in ways we never expected. And so we spent a couple more years studying it from that first major release. But prior to that, it was 15 years of research, four years of field testing all around the globe. Then we released it for COVID, studied it. And we were amazed to find out that people weren't just using it for COVID. People were using like the blessed needs that we talk about. It's an acronym for biological livelihood, emotional, social, spiritual needs to like, how do I talk to my teenager? Or I'm an employer. How do I rethink about the way I engage, you know, with my staff and people using it in schools, using it in mental health. We even had licensed mental health professionals doing it and then hearing from tons of churches. So we spent those two years reworking it and released it about a year ago where now we've really developed it so it's accessible to anyone and that the goal is to take the guesswork out of helping and that it helps with everything from mild stress to mass traumas. That's amazing. I think this is such a useful tool as a therapist myself, being able to kind of see the disconnect between even in my area, the church, especially large church community in Mm. Virginia area, where there maybe is still, unfortunately, maybe some stigmas around mental health care and being able to kind of connect the needs to the church, but in a way that's trauma-informed, that's spiritually informed as well. That that connection is so vitally important. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And that was something that we were really passionate about, that the spiritual first age really built on are kind of like three essentials or pillars, you could say, which you, you named them right there, right? That it, it's biblically informed. It's evidence-informed and it's trauma-informed. And what we really tried to do was really, like I said, make this accessible to anyone, you know, recognizing that we all have a role to play when it comes to tackling this current mental health crisis that we're in. Absolutely. I'm curious, too, about what that looks like from, like, the insights of the work that you've done, all of the research. I would love for us to start kind of with maybe a basis of what trauma is for maybe listeners that are new to that concept and we have church leadership, maybe listening in and wanting to know, like, how do we even implement this? Why is this important for my church? I think the first piece of that is kind of understanding what trauma is and how it impacts people, and maybe even specifically, maybe how it impacts people spiritually. Yeah, absolutely. So when we talk about trauma, you know, there's a couple of different ways to kind of think about it. You know, so I'm a diehard Chicago Cubs fan my whole life. So that's one form of trauma, right? Now, the reason why I start with that is that you know, there's been a lot of conversations you've probably seen in the Atlantic or, you know, just from magazine to magazine lately, people are starting to ask, are we talking about trauma too much, right? And the reason why I started with that example and bringing that up is that, you know, I think what we're seeing with trauma and the way that we talk about it is kind of like what we've seen in the past with like depression, right? That there's a difference between talking about, you know, I'm feeling depressed because I've had a bad day versus I'm clinically depressed, right? And so I think we're starting to see where, you know, early on the, when people would say trauma, they were really talking about post-traumatic stress disorder, Mm -hmm. which is having this kind of strong psychological reaction to a horrible event that causes psychological distress that lasts typically for more than six weeks. 
and has symptoms like having nightmares, you know, our bodies being on hyper alert, that we may be more easy to anger, pulling away from others, problems sleeping, nightmares, flashbacks. Those are the kind of common symptoms. But now this has kind of gone into our broader culture. We're starting to sometimes use it a little bit more loosely, which maybe is not always helpful. But at the same time, the positive is it does mean that there's greater awareness, which I'm thankful for. And so at the end of the day, you know, there's the clinical way of thinking about it like PTSD, but at the heart of trauma, regardless if it meets clinical criteria or not, that it's really a subjective response, right? That you and I might go through a really horrible event that's almost identical, but at the same time, maybe you bounce back or it doesn't really impact you in the same way. Well, some of that has to do with our backgrounds, our histories, And just like I mentioned, our subjective lenses that we bring to our experience. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. It's really good. So when we say spiritual first aid, I'm curious as to why you named it that. And is this because it has a connection or when you use the word spiritual, is it because we're talking about like maybe a whole body approach? I'm curious just to maybe shed some light on that. Yeah, absolutely. Great question. So actually, I think it's probably yes to both of those to some extent. But for us, it really kind of starts with the way that we even think about what does it mean to be human in this world and the things that we go through. And one of the main reasons why we named it Spiritual First Aid was based on the research that we've been conducting for the last 15 years on this topic. And what we've really been able to show throughout, I mean, we're talking lots of studies. I I won't bore all your listeners. Now, I get excited. um, And actually, yesterday I was talking to my colleagues in the hallway, and I'm like, I am so sorry, but I'm about to start another conversation with in a recent study. So I know that I'm prone to go that way, and not everybody else is quite as excited about stats. So, But what we'd found, though, over all these studies, was that, you know, really kind of comes down to these five core needs that are all highly interconnected. And when they go unmet or are maybe challenged or even threatened, that it causes an increase in psychological distress. But at the same time, not just emotional distress, that it impacts 
all of us and this all of our needs are interconnected. So it kind of goes back to that blessed needs that I mentioned. Yeah. And we like to talk about it as like a Rubik's cube, right? Like I've never met, I'm sure you can relate to this as a therapist that, you know, even in my own life, right? That none of us just have one problem, you know? And when somebody starts to open up within a few minutes, you realize like they've got enough problems that could probably cover the entire, you know, like every single little square or tile on one side of a Rubik's cube, which mm-hmm. can feel overwhelming. But what we found in our research is if we can talk with somebody and identify what's that one most pressing need, which we call doing blessed triage to really kind of focus in on that immediate need, sort through it, that if we can focus and meet that one need, what happens like with the Rubik's cube, if you push on one tile, it shifts the entirety of an entire side of the cube. They're all interconnected. And so it allows us as Christians to meet people where they are in that moment of need. And we can know that even if it's maybe giving somebody a glass of water when they're thirsty, to if we are praying with somebody, if we are giving somebody shelter, or if we're just being there as a friend, that those different ways of helping is impacting the entirety of who that person is. Yeah, that's so good. That holistic approach is something that I'm so passionate about. And from this kind of season that we're kind of exploring what it looks like to be first embodied and then what embodiment looks like as a believer, I think this particular way of thinking can help so many. Specifically, I would say if we're talking to the church and how do we how do we become missional in a way that's really tangible? I think this is a great way to right. do it. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, just kind of reflecting on what you were sharing there that you know what people really need from the church is for the church to be the church. But <laughs> sometimes we don't always do that in helpful ways, right? Yeah. That, you know, I've lost count and I know that I'm one of those people that's pr- like, I'm prone to put my foot in my mouth. That's the way that I am wired as a human being. And so I understand when maybe somebody says something that you're like, did they really just say that? Now, at the same time, because I train on this, I will put it away in my memory and be like, now I've got a great example to share here, right? <laughs> exactly. So, but I, I say that in that when we talk about spiritual first aid, we're not trying to train people in the church to be many mental health professionals, mm-hmm. but instead to really be more of a frontline spiritual and emotional care provider, mm-hmm. that we're meeting people in the moment where they are in the, wherever they're at and trying to help address those most basic needs. You could kind of think of it in some ways as like uh, what you do, Carly, as a professional mental health professional being the hot pack, right? When somebody's injured, mm-hmm. but spiritual first aid is more like a cold pack. So the kind of analogy that we teach in our course is that if we come along, you know, somebody and maybe you're playing basketball, you sprain an ankle, that the first round of care is actually the best thing is a cold pack to try to stabilize it, bring down the swelling. But if it persists, if it continues to get worse, or maybe it's actually a more serious injury, like I really broke my ankle, I need to go to the professional and they're like the hot pack, right? That they're going to be able to provide that deeper care to process, go in more depth. But what we're trying to do with spiritual first aid is meet the needs that we can. Hopefully it prevents where that person doesn't have to come see you. But if they do, they'll also have the skills to be able to make that warm handoff and to be able to provide some additional tools and resources along the way. I love that. I'm also curious too about what it looks like within the church context. If we could just maybe do the overall picture and then we could zoom in at what does this look like if a church were to say, oh, we want we want to teach just our body to be able to provide this? Do Is this like a course that the church purchases for the whole church? Is this an individualized experience? Yeah, right now it's been so fun just to see how it's taken off. And so what, as I mentioned, 
again, going back to the research, you know, one of the things that we're constantly doing is not just figuring out like, is this effective or not? Or why does this work in this way? But we're also studying like, how are people actually using it? And what are the problems or pain points they have? And how can we learn from others the creative solutions of how they're using it, as well as can we potentially help them together partner and come up with new ways? So we're kind of in this exciting phase as it's really expanding. So the way that it's offered is that you can go to our website at spiritualfirstaid.org and you can take the course that's on demand. So we actually worked with a professional video production team and script crew and you know, spent about six months, you know, just prepping before actually even, you know, recording the video. So it's really high quality. And we, again, try to really only give you what you need because we do believe that the average person in the church have tools. It's kind of like, right? Like one of the things that I sometimes ask when we do our training is, you know, do you have a first aid kit, right? And all the hands go up and then it's like, okay, so how many of you actually know where it's at? (laughs) It starts to go down. And then the next question we tend to inquire about is, so do you actually know how to use all the tools in your kit? And then it's only a couple of hands still left, but they have it. They have the tools. They're just not quite sure when to use it or how or in the right way. And that's what we're doing with Spiritual First Aid is that we know that the average person has so many great gifts and tools that you're already probably the type of person that others turn to when they need help. And we've just come alongside giving you a framework that's proven, giving you the language and some basic tools and some small actions that make a big difference. And so we, even with our training, have tried to boil it down. We don't want this to be overwhelming. We want it to be where, what are those kind of like five basic steps that if you learn them, you can feel confident and stop worrying if you did enough to help. And so the way the training set up is in over right now, it's eight sessions, but we're actually modifying where it'll be able to be completed and be certified in just six sessions. That's about an hour a piece. That includes the reading time, the workbook activities and so on. But then the other thing that we launched about six months ago was that we were hearing from so many churches that they were actually doing the on-demand, but getting together in groups because they wanted to learn. So they were buying the groups or the courses individually, but getting together. So we then worked with all these churches we were hearing from, and we developed a really in-depth workbook that's actually a lot of fun. So a lot of it starts with a devotional every week. They meet for six weeks for about an hour and a half at a time. And then they go through that devotional. They watch about a 20 to 30 minute video together, have some brief discussion about it. There's an activity. And then we actually break them into role plays so that they can practice a skill and give each other feedback. And so, you know, we're not talking about like Oscar winning type of role plays. And but just about 10 minutes per person getting to hone a skill, which research shows when you practice that muscle 10 minutes at a time over several weeks, you actually develop competency in these type of micro skills. And so there's also where we've got groups that are doing it in that way. But then the thing that we're super excited about is, in fact, it's been now about a month, almost every day, our colleagues, our team, we're having multiple calls that we've set up with some of our partner churches to hear what are they needing. And they're saying, well, that course is great for our champions, right? These are the people that are going to volunteer, be on a committee and are going to do it. But they're like, could we also have resources where it was like a mini course that just focused on the kids portion? What would a mini course look like that we could give to our volunteers who are greeters that oftentimes interact with people in distress? What would it look like if we had a trauma informed, like took part of that curriculum that you develop, 
but it would walk our elder board through developing a plan for addressing things like abuse to even maybe a major disaster. So we're actually right now in the process of creating now a whole host of these additional mini courses, including on self-care. And so we'll be releasing those in the near future. And the other thing is if you sign up for our email, we send out a free resource every single week. So we've got about 35,000 people that we're sending out free resources to on a weekly basis. That's amazing. I feel like the church, hopefully those that are listening, want to bring this immediately back to their church because I want my home church here to do it. And I think it can offer so many different areas of ministry such an opportunity to, like you were saying, like from like just the child care, the leaders in child care to our youth groups. I do a lot of our trauma trainings in our youth group right now. And being able to hand them kind of like a resource like this could be really, really helpful. And I love how it sounds like it's coming really flexible and being able to shift into many forms, which is also really helpful. Yeah. And and one of the other ways that it has shifted and grown in ways we hadn't expected that it's also being used by like churches that have uh, maybe like parish nurses, for example. You know, we have a whole host within regions where like nursing or healthcare professionals that maybe as volunteer or even employed by a church are using it in their work. We have hospital systems like Christian hospitals that are going through this. And then the other thing that's been a lot of fun is then I've also had a number of licensed mental health professionals who've said, I for years have tried to collaborate and bring something in my local church, but I can't have a whole full-time second job supervising a lay ministry. I didn't know what to do, but they're like, this is the tool I've been looking for that it's, we've really tried to make it where it's really a turnkey experience also for the leaders. And in fact, I'll probably get in trouble because I'm not supposed to be saying this yet, but actually we're hoping next week to release a brand new facilitator's guide and a whole host of resources where if you can lead a small group discussion that you can lead an entire course of spiritual first aid. Oh, wow. That's awesome. I will definitely be looking out for that. (laughs) Wonderful. I want to go back before we kind of finish up today and have you maybe just really briefly unpack what blessed needs are. You mentioned at the beginning, and I think ending with that could be a way to encourage some motivation in listeners of, hey, what are my needs? Because these are all just basic human needs. But then how am I seeing this played out in my work, in my church, in my families, in my just community relationships? Yeah, totally. I'm glad to explain that. And in fact, I'll take it just one step further and just even just explain the whole blessed CPR. Yeah. We can do that pretty quickly here. Okay. So I mentioned earlier about those blessed needs. And again, you can kind of think of them as like a Rubik's cube that are all interconnected. And so the B from blessed is biological needs. So kind of our physical and our health. Then we have livelihood. So employment, do we have a place, you know, can we pay our bills? Can we get access to resources? And then we have the E standing for emotional needs. So our our mental health needs, like what we've been talking about. And then our social needs, those relationships, you know, our research over and over shows the importance of having positive relationships can make on people. And then the final S and the biggest S is the spiritual needs. So our connection with God, our connection with our church, our ability to find meaning and purpose in our lives. And then what we do is we teach then that full blessed CPR steps. So now you know what the bless is and in blessed triage. So that blessed triage is that we're going to sort what's that most pressing need, kind of like a an EMT that shows up in an accident scene. They can't fix everything, but they can work with the person help figure it out and stabilize it. That's what you're doing. You're putting that ice pack. And then the next is the C, which stands for care with practical presence. 
So how do you walk alongside and set in the suffering of others? You know, what should you not say? So you're not like me putting your foot in your mouth all of the time. And it puts an emphasis of not just being with, but also caring for what's that person's most basic need. And can I do something tangible to care for them? And then the next step out of the BLESS CPR, the P stands for provide coping practices. So we teach some just really basic techniques that if you're talking with somebody who maybe you could just tell they're really distressed, that you could just walk them through in the matter of a minute that'll bring their stress level down. But also, if that's not the case, maybe you don't have time. You know, you've only got five minutes to talk to that person or, you know, it's not the right place. We also teach you how to help them think through and problem solve some skills that they can use to go forward in the future with and problem solve so they actually do it and not just run into a roadblock. And then it ends with the R out of the Blessed CPR, which stands for refer and resource. So is there something that you might be able to get them equipped with in your community? Mm -hmm. You know, is there a new book that you've read that you think would be really helpful? Or how do you actually take that next step to get somebody to go seek professional help? And then as part of that is right. also to be able to recognize, is that person potentially struggling with safety related issues? So through one of our studies, we found that people that go through blessed CPR and spiritual first aid, that they're more likely to directly ask about things like suicide or harm to self or others or child abuse, which these are tough topics, but there's ways to go about asking them correctly that aren't, isn't going to cause harm. And so that's really the overall model then that we teach. So if you can remember blessed CPR, you can take this course and be able to put it with actionable skills into practice with others as soon as you finish your sessions. That's amazing. I love that. And that's so easy to remember. I think for a lot of people, that could be a really tangible way of being like, okay, I know what to do. <laughs> I can follow the acronym. <laughs> well, and that was partly for me too. And part of it came out of the fact that, so, you know, I've been teaching these types of, you know, different training programs and other things in the past and, and using them on a regular basis. And I was teaching a class a couple of years ago and I realized like this one curriculum, it was a different program that was out there. It's supposed to be easy to use. And it's like, wait a minute, I'm a psychologist. So I've got 10 years of grads, you know, or overall training. Mm. I've been a practice, you know, practitioner for years. I've been doing this work for over 15 years and I still can't teach you by memory what these steps are, right? Yeah, Cause it's just so complex. So that's one of the things and why it took us so long to develop this was that we want you to be able to, it needs to be sticky. So you don't have to think about it. It just becomes second nature. That's great. So as we finish up our conversation today, I would love for you to just share maybe one last encouragement to listeners, maybe those that are like really wanting to know how to take care of others well, or those that are in church leadership or connected to a church or wanting to kind of implement this embodied approach to caring for people. What are some just thoughts or maybe even practical steps that people can take? Absolutely. So, you know, for those who are listening, I would just, you know, share with you that I totally get that mental health issues, especially trauma, is complex. Yep. And it, it can feel overwhelming. It can leave us feeling worried, wondering, did we do enough to help? But with spiritual first aid, we want you to know that helping doesn't have to be complex, that we've tried to take that guesswork out of helping so that you can have that sense of peace of mind to be able to care with others. And that that gift that you have of just being with others truly is one of the most powerful ways that we can care for others. And then lastly, you're not alone in this. And in fact, you've got more friends that are interested in this topic than you could even imagine. And you can find those friends on October 10th 
on World Mental Health Day at the Virtual Church Mental Health Summit. So I'm excited to be able to share with everyone that in addition, like our spiritual first aid team, we're collaborating with Hope Made Strong and also with Biola University School of Psychology to be able to offer the Church Mental Health Summit. And as of yesterday, we already had over 4,300 people registered from all over the world that are going to be attending that. And did I mention it's free? So it's a free one-day summit. We've got over 60 speakers. And one of the things that has been so encouraging, because we had the opportunity to do with this with Laura Howe, who's the founder, and it's really her vision for the summit. I mean, she's just an amazing person. And one of the things that has been so incredibly encouraging to see since last year is that this isn't just a one-time meeting. It's a movement of people in the church Absolutely. that who are continuing to find each other and build community even after the summit's over. So if you're looking for free resources, come to that. You're not going to get folks like me just giving you research. It's going to be that if they made it onto our summit, they have taken best practices and translated it into an actionable tool and resources that you can actually take, turn around, and put into practice. So wonderful. Oh, and you can find that at churchmentalhealthsummit.com. Yes, and I'll link all of these sources in the show notes so that everybody can join us. I'm really excited for that summit. I signed up right when I saw it, and I'm really looking forward to just hearing and listening in on all of the speakers. So thank you so much, Jamie, for your time today. I really appreciate the work and your ministry. Oh, thank you. And thank you for the important work that you're doing with this podcast. So really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Therapy and Theology. If you have a question or topic you would like discussed on a future episode, please feel free to email me or drop it in the comments. Also, don't forget to subscribe to have each week's episode instantly downloaded to your podcasts and see the show notes for resources mentioned in this episode. To access more content and join my monthly email list for the latest updates and info, visit my website at carlymarkwilliard.com. Is life feeling chaotic? I get it. I'm Rachel Wojo, host of the Untangling Life podcast. Don't miss the passionate encouragement and faith-based resources you need to help you clear your head and calm your heart. As Shell says, it feels like Rachel always knows what I need to hear. She keeps it real and is so humble. Her podcast is just the cherry on top. Enjoy Untangling Life with Rachel Wojo on lifeaudio.com or your favorite podcast app now.